Today's reading is from Romans 6, verses 1 to 11. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, good morning. I am pumped to get into the Bible this morning, so if you haven't brought one, there's some spares on the back shelf, uh, do just get up from where you are, go and grab one. Um, if you've got a phone with it on, Romans 6, I'd love you to look at it, because what Helen just read to us is so dense, I don't want you to miss it. Um, and uh, we'll just take a moment and get ourselves ready for that. Romans chapter 6, here he is. <coughs> Brilliant. Thanks, buddy. Fantastic. That's great. Okay. Right. I'm actually going to stand up here because I can see you this morning and I need to use these. Um, I'm just, you know, overwhelmed at who God is bringing. We're such a diverse church, aren't we? Look around. Look at these people who are here. You know, we've got young, old... Um, Thankfully, our diversity is increasing as a church, which is a real blessing. You know, we've got different backgrounds, and all of us are here because we're hungry to see God's kingdom come. And we've got a wonderful vision, which is really, really cool. Uh, but what I want to talk about this morning is if we are serious about seeing God's kingdom coming, then I really just love you so much um, that I just want to help all of us grow into the fullness of what God has for us. Because we've got a vision to see the whole of this area utterly transformed by the kingdom of God. That this wouldn't be just to build a little mountain here in Ashington, Washington and Whiston, but that we'd see these South Downs, we, see, we would see Sussex transformed. And by the way, we're not going to get in a whole bunch of other people who are much better than us to help us. This is resting on your shoulders and my shoulders. And Jesus has said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And if God is wanting to pour out his spirit and release his kingdom, then does God want our vision to be realized? Fantastic. Who might be opposed to that? 
<laughs> Everybody help. <laughs> I'm definitely on, aren't I? Yeah, great. Who might be opposed to that? The devil. Fantastic. And who's been defeated? Fantastic. So everybody just look down, just miles and miles and miles, because he is right under our feet and under the feet of Jesus. So if Jesus wanted, right, who here loves Jesus? Fantastic. If you don't love Jesus, we would love to introduce you to him today. Okay. Now, who here believes that Jesus has called us to live like he has? Okay. Are we sure about that? Okay. What is the primary difference between us and Jesus? Ed says, classic, from his Cornhill Bible training school, we're sinners. Ah. All right, the primary difference between us and Jesus is he was without sin. Okay? And what I want to talk about this morning is the liberating power of Jesus and apply it particularly to his breaking of the power of sin. Because... Sin entered the world through Adam. And in Romans, uh, in chapter 5, it says, we've got an ancestor, and his name is Adam. And sin came in like a blanket over every person that separates us from God and twists up our lives. Sin can be defined like this. Do you ever have a thought that Jesus wouldn't have? There's room for growth then, isn't there? Do we ever have an action that Jesus would never have had? Is there any part of our lives where we feel out of control, dominated by something else? Now, this is confusing because we've just been singing about him setting us free. You know, I remember I was saved when I was 15. I was born again, 15 years old, filled with the Spirit and called to the church on one night. And what I couldn't work out a couple of years later was why there was stuff in my life which wasn't going, which I knew if Jesus was living my life wouldn't be there. You know, you can apply this however you like, but I came from a gene pool which is bent towards being highly addictive. That's the gene pool, earthly gene pool I inherited. So in my appetites, it's highly, well, was highly addictive. So let me just apply that in a certain way. Let me just tell you this. I I used to, this is after I'd been born again and filled with the Spirit, I used to count on in eights on my fingers. (laughs) Obsessively. You know, I would try and get five digits to fold into eight over and over again. And we got married, I'd be like like doing this in bed, wouldn't I? I just like trying to work it out. Because that is in my earthly gene pool. Now I'm not going to go into. Why, when we're born again, are we not fully set free and delivered? Although the early Christians used to take a new disciple and just put them in like hardcore boot camp for a couple of years. But, you know, there, what happens is when we think things or act or when we're dominated by something else, that creates two results in our lives. The first is, if we believe it is a sin, it results in shame. And so what happens then is we shrink back for, I don't know, a bit of time or whatever until we can get over it and we pull back from God and it stops us from living out the fullness of who we are so that we can shine light to the world wherever we go. Do you recognise that? Yeah, okay. 
Or, and you see this in the sort of spirit of the age in the wider church with a big C, or what happens is we try and persuade ourselves that it isn't really a sin and then try and get the rest of the world to change around us just to mask the fact that we're really, you know, offending what God would like for us. Do we recognise that as well? So wouldn't you like to know how we can be free from the power of sin? Isn't that an interesting thing? Because I don't want us to be shackled by shame or embarrassment or, you know, to be just, I don't know. I want us to be overcomers and to be set free. And this is what God has done. And I'm looking at you guys. I'm thinking we could change the world this year. And yet, and there's so many things that will help us do that. Knowing the Father's love, being filled with the power of the Spirit, you know, knowing the truth of who God is and who we are in Him. All of those things are fantastic. But this morning, I want to apply the liberating power of Jesus, not to disease or sickness, not to deliverance, but to breaking the power of sin. I'm telling you what this morning, we're going to take communion, and I have faith this morning that we are going to be set free to a greater degree and able to walk out of here ready to say, do you know what? Jesus is alive because he's working in my life and can I introduce you to him? Now, if you've got a Bible, let's get into Romans chapter 6. And by way of context, just very, very briefly, Paul the Apostle has, has not visited this community of Christians yet and he's writing to them. And there are two situations going on. The first is, is he's writing to Rome, which is the epicenter of the known universe at that time. He's writing to one of the most totalitarian, oppressive regimes that's ever existed on the planet. At the center of that is Caesar, who is to be worshipped. And whatever he says is not only to be lived out in his presence, but right across the Holy Roman Empire. That's the one situation, which is why Paul, right at the beginning of Romans, takes the time to basically take everybody back through a different narrative of how God's been working and how God is being seen and his glory is being displayed right across the known world. He, he is basically setting up an opposing kingdom to Caesar and reminding these Christians of who, who God is and all that he's done. The second thing that is going on in Romans is then Paul begins to walk those of them who would have inherited a Judaistic heritage and he begins to walk them through something so radical that we can all slip back from this, which is justification by faith. He goes firstly in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and he basically says the promises of old were never accessed through the fulfilling of the law but they were given to Abraham and righteousness being right with God was given to Abraham simply because of faith. And Paul is saying, listen guys, you've got to know this, that this was right from the beginning, that this is how we stand before God. And being justified means we stand before God who is holy and just, and he says, you should be a sinner, but I justify you now, come into my presence, you are one of mine, and all that should have fallen on you fell on my son, Jesus Christ. So it's good news, isn't it? Let's remind ourselves of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Come on, Roy. <laughs> um, and um, where are we at? Yeah, then we come into, um, 
Then we come into Romans 4 and Romans 5, where he's basically saying when the law came in, the law that was given to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, when the law came in, sin increased. And Paul's basically said there's always been sin. Remember what sin is? Thinking or doing stuff which Jesus would have not even had in his frame of reference or being controlled by forces which are, you know, which were out of control before. Okay, so he's basically saying sin increased because of the law. There was, but he said there was sin already in the world, but now we've got a law which gives it, brings it to account. It, the law basically highlights it, and so that it can be called to account. But he said the grace of God abounds more and more and more. So however much sin increased, grace increases all the more. Now let's pick up from chapter 6. I hope that's helpful. By the way, I just wanted to say, this is really important. If you had been introduced to a new kingdom of freedom and righteousness and joy with Jesus Christ as the ruling king at the centre of it, it would be easy if you were living in the most oppressive epicentre empire ever known to not feel very powerful and very free and all of that. So this is kind of why Paul is getting into this and trying to teach these guys. Is this helpful? Brilliant. So sins increased because of the law. God's grace has increased all the more. And so then they ask, presumably in Paul's head, they ask this question. What then? And we did have it on the screen. And guys, can you just give John a heart sign? It just, the computer crashed. And we had this version on the screen. We could all follow it along. It's going to be beautiful, wasn't it, John? And the computer crashed. So John, we love you. Everyone say, John, we love you. Brilliant. Okay, what then are we to say? And I'm reading from the NRSV, so if you've got an online thing, just flick over into that so we're not all out of sync. Um, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? You can hear the question. Sin's increased because of the law. God's grace increased to match sin. So let's sin more. So God's grace increases. And he says, by no means, you punks. By no means. And what does he say? How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? (laughs) How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Think about this for a minute. What's he saying behind that statement? He's saying that it is possible to be free from the power of sin and to live free of its power. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? And we'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And check this out for a minute. Here's the first idea, that we can be free of the power of sin before we leave this earthly life. Okay, And what he's saying is, how can we who've died to sin go on living in it? it?" And he reminds them of the events that happened to Jesus, which we're looking back 2,000 years ago. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus? Now, who here loves Jesus? Great. Who here has been baptised? Okay, so baptism doesn't make us a Christian 
But baptism is meant to be the outward sign of the inward reality. But when you were baptised, you lost all rights on your life because you were baptised and given a new identity that takes us back to the events 2,000 years ago at Golgotha, outside Jerusalem on Good Friday, and at the empty tomb in the garden on Easter Sunday. We were baptised into Christ Jesus, into his death. So what we're basically saying is no longer are you Matt, no longer are you Michelle, no longer are you Janet, because when you were baptised, you were brought into the identity of what happened to Jesus there. So that, why were we baptised into his death? Just as Christ on the third day, and here we've got the empty cloth because there's no body any longer as we've just been singing, praise God, so that... Yeah, come on, Isabel. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too, when we die, might be free of sin. Hang on a minute. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What he's basically saying is when you are baptised, you are brought into the events that happened here. And when Christ was raised from the dead, that was to forge for you and I to birth within us the possibility of walking in what Paul describes here as newness of life. Another example, an interchangeable example, is eternal life. Life that has no beginning and life that has no end. But it arrives now that we might walk here on this earth in newness of life. Now, I just want to say this, okay? I don't care if you lift up the lid of your lives and your hearts and what muck we find under there. But what I'm proclaiming to you this morning is that there is liberation from that in the name of Jesus. Because the power of sin, and you can apply this how the Holy Spirit wants to this morning. But I'm telling you that what Jesus did is to be effective to free us from any chinks in our armour, any chains round our feet, any counting in a weird, obsessive way on your fingers in eights. You know, whatever it is. The inability to control our temper, the inability to overcome being passive, the inability to overcome fear, all of that has been broken and has been released for us by the power of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, that we might walk in newness of life. And I'm telling you what, there is nothing that I think is, um, how do I say this? There's nothing more grievous is when society says the church is just like us. And the exciting thing in the 21st century is that in terms of morality, our society and, and Christian morality is doing this. And the exciting thing about that is that it's going to, become, going to become easier and easier to shine light. Because no longer are we in a day and age where people say, well, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a good person. Fantastic. But have you been born again? Do you know the Spirit of God filling you inside? And are you walking in freedom and releasing the kingdom wherever you go? Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right? Yeah. Is everyone okay? I'm sorry. I'm, like, I'm up for it this morning. So like, everyone just breathe. <laughs> Is that Okay. I'm just excited, like no more, no more monkeys on our backs, don't you think? Because I'm looking around thinking if we are to forge powerful ministry for 25 years time and 40 years time for our grandchildren, 
You know, those of you who may not be here then, unless the Lord, you know, gives you extra long age, what, what you can lay a foundation for so that those thousand generations that Michelle picked up can inherit more and more and more. Let's just get, get it off us, don't you think? So how do we do that? Well, we do that because we are united with him. And let's pick up verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we, do you believe your sins are forgiven? Yes. Do you? Yes. Are you sure about that? Yes. Fantastic. Do you believe that your diseases were paid for in the atonement? Yes. Which is a whole other sermon. Yeah, do you believe that? Yes. Fantastic. Well, then you have to believe that there is power over sin because of the resurrection. For if we've been united with him for forgiveness, then we are united with him for the possibility of new life. Now, how does that work? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Now think about this for a minute. Think about 2,000 years ago, outside Jerusalem, when Jesus was crucified. What happened in that moment was that every single sin of the human race pre-Jesus and every single sin post-Jesus was laid on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, upon him was laid the iniquity of us all, okay? Now, can you imagine Jesus in himself bearing all the weight of anger, of deprivation, of of lust, of pride, of fear, of whatever it is? Can you imagine that coming upon him, okay? Now, when they took Jesus' body down, when they pierced his side with a spear and he'd given out his last breath and his side had gushed with water and with blood, a sign that he was truly dead, how much would the weight of sin have felt to Jesus at that moment? Would he have felt it? No. Why? Because he was dead. Because a dead person, and as someone who takes funerals, and you are around dead bodies from time to time, you know, well, when you take a funeral every time. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just... um, (laughs) Until they rise. um, Then you can take the funeral for the best person who's ever lived or the worst person who's ever lived. But I tell you what, there's no no sin that's affecting them any longer because they're, they're dead. It doesn't affect them. All the feelings, all the internal attitudes or chains have been broken through death. Paul makes this point in verse 7. For whoever has died is freed from sin. When there's a dead body, there isn't any sin going on. Whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ... We're back to tying the resurrection to the cross again. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. 
What's he saying there? He's saying, he's reminding us, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And then he goes on to say that the ultimate powerful force behind every sin is death. Death came on Jesus Christ and it really did kill him. But even death was defeated and was placed under Jesus' feet and he is now over that. So let's apply that to sin first and then to death. So Jesus, having been raised again, has shown that he is now Lord and Master over the most powerful force, over an addictive personality, over intense fear, over you know, out-of-control anger, whatever it is. All of that, the conclusion to that is death. Spiritual, physical, and we know relational, emotional, all of that. And all of that, Jesus has kicked ass and he's come over the top of it and placed death under its feet. So when he rose from the grave, what he's basically saying is there is no force in this world or in your head or in your heart or in my head or my heart, there is no force more powerful than him because everything comes under him. The death he died, verse 10, is so death no longer has dominion over him because he is the king, lord and master. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The death he died for us all, he died to sin once so that we didn't have to. But the life he lives, he now lives utterly and completely and freely to God. Okay? Now let's go back to verse 5. If we've been united with him in a death like his, then we are surely united with him in a resurrection like his. So the death that he died to take every sin and the life he now lives with every bad thing under his feet and even death itself, we have been united with him in that. So therefore, we are, in terms of our position and in terms of the power being released, we have been raised from the dead. We are over every ounce of shame, darkness, sin, and that is under us because if we know Jesus, we have been united with him, not only in the cross, but also the resurrection. Okay? Are you following that? Okay. So how does that work in our lives? You know, I ask you the question, is there any part of our lives out of control? So what's going on? You're telling me that I'm a above here, but then I feel out of control. Paul beautifully applies this. And here is the first instalment, and instalment next week on the liberating power of Jesus concludes here. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You also must think of yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you also must consider yourselves as being like one of the coffins in a funeral that I take, where sin has no power because there's a dead body. There can be no temptation, no uncontrollable rage, no loss of peace, because that is dead. You must think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
The Son of God walked in wonderful peace. The Son of God walked in supernatural authority. The Son of God walked in radical love. The Son of God walked in gentleness and boldness. And we are to think of ourselves as alive to God in Christ Jesus because we've been united with him. Okay? So, let's apply this even more fully. I'm like, cannot stop counting in eights. You know, it's just like obsessive, you know. And I, I, I like, stop counting in eights. Stop counting in eights. I can't. And like, everything within me just wants to count in eights. Uh, you know, they just, you apply this however you want. I'm just, this is real. And I'm no longer counting eights. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Eight, 16, 20, <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying this because I was saying at the nine, do you remember, I've never read it, but there was a book out, you know, classic Christian book, read the title and it tells you the message. You don't need to read the books. <laughs> it's classic, isn't it? They've had one revelation, tell you in the title, and then you don't need to buy the book. It's amazing. But John Ortberg wrote this book, Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. You don't need to read it, do you? Don't need to read it. It's like job done. It's like we're all completely weird. So I'm counting in eight. Uh, you have your <laughs> whatever. Ah. So how how does that? Ah, oh, I need to break. Oh, I need to stop counting in eight. Ah, you know, I'm like kind of like, you know, writhing around in bed, like trying to calm myself. Ah, how does this work? I shift my mindset. I think of myself because I died when I came to know Jesus. I died. So I think of myself as the, the desire to count in eights died when I was 15 years old. The feelings and the thoughts may be in my head, but they are lying to me. Because there's a dead body that got left behind on some carpet somewhere when I became a Christian. And the desire, the addictive gene pool that I came from was buried that day. Well, it wasn't buried that day. It was buried on Good Friday 2,000 years ago. But I was incorporated or united into that. So therefore, I think of myself now, no longer. I am free of counting in eights because the desire to count in eights died 2,000 years ago. I've suddenly just realized it. And the feelings may feel really real, but they are deceiving me because this person died for me now 23 years ago on a carpet. <laughs> but they really died 2,000 years ago because they were knitted, they were united, they were attached. They were in him who died 2,000 years ago. And the desire, the feeling, the thoughts to be perfectly at peace in my body, in my emotions, in my psyche, was one for me three days later when these linen cloths were left behind and Jesus rose from the grave because I am united with this. But I feel like I just want to like shout at the kids and what? You know, hang on a minute. The desire to shout perished 2,000 years ago. And the desire to be calm was one 2,000 years ago. To be authoritative, but not to be out of control. To be gentle and firm and kind and merciful and loving 
and full of self-control was what I have been united with 2,000 years ago. So I think of myself as dead to this and I think of myself as alive to this. I'm telling you what, that will begin to beat away the feelings. They will go. Rather than saying, feelings, go! It's like, our feelings, you never really existed. I'm being deceived by a dead man because that person died 23 years ago, 2,000 years ago. Now, you can take this the other way, take this too far and say, I never sin. Or, as the Corinthian church did, I've been resurrected. That takes it too far. If we sin, then isn't it wonderful to be a part of a church? But right at the heart is forgiveness. He is faithful and just. He's full of mercy and kindness. And he restores us. So we're not going to get into that situation where, you know, if something goes wrong, then just you go back to the carpet that you lay on, you know, when you were 15 or whatever it is. You go back to what you've been united with and you allow the blood of Jesus to just wash over you from head to toe again. You know, um, but I tell you, if we think of ourselves as dead, so something, you know, because all sin is a progression of um, a thought that eventually gives birth to action. And the, the hard thing about knowing Jesus is that he sharpens action into thought. He says it's no, it's no longer just getting between the sheets with someone you shouldn't. If you look at someone in the wrong way, you're committing this in your heart. But, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> but if we begin to when, that, when something comes, we begin to say, okay, I see you at the first sign. You've just rounded the bend. You know, and I know where this journey ends, and it ends in three days of shame, and then whatever. You know, I know where this journey ends, and you've rounded the bend. Oh, it's interesting that you've decided to come and visit me, because there's no possible way that you're going to be able to land on my heart, because this heart's dead. So you might as well just go back around the corner. There you go. And... Uh, because I am dead to sin. I no longer, you're not going to find a landing place on me because I'm dead. And how can you tempt a dead person? How can you try and control a dead person? You can't. Because this heart is alive to one man who's led us to the Father. Is that good? So think of yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's the liberating power that he's come to set us free so that we can just live the strongest possible lives, full of his spirit, and ready to go and change the world wherever he leads us. Is that good? I just had a a picture during worship, and obviously I was thinking about this, but I just... um, uh, You know where you see um, someone who looks really grey? Like, you know, you see someone who is um, gripped by cancer, and they just take on a sort of grey hue about them. I just saw this person, and then just from the top of their head 
to the bottom of their feet, they just came into Technicolor. And I just felt like, and I was like, Lord, how's, how's that going to happen? And I just felt like the Lord said to us this morning that he is going to wash us clean afresh from head to toe by the blood of the Lamb who has overcome. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to respond in communion. And this church has been growing, and I'd love you to have, as you've joined the church, got a book of common prayer and read all of the 39 articles about the Church of England and um, discovered our inheritance and all of those things. But I'm telling you what, I'm going to give you a two-minute communion talk right now. Are you ready? Because what I'm excited for this morning is for each of us to have an encounter, a liberating encounter with the power of Jesus as we receive this morning. Okay? The Baptists are remembering what Jesus has done. The Catholics think the bread and wine is literally flesh and blood. The Anglicans believe that we, are, we have the opportunity to encounter Jesus through the elements that he's given us. So we are remembering what he's done, but we are also receiving spiritually from him as we take bread and as we receive wine. We are, if I was to go through all the words, which we won't this morning, we are feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. That's the cornerstone of what I believe is biblical. And it's one area we got right, Anglican theology. You know. <laughs> it helps us make sense of some of the passages like John 6. Whoever wants to inherit eternal life must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, how do we eat his flesh? Do we really have to believe that bit of bread that I'm eating in my mouth has become flesh? And I'm eating skin and whatever? I don't know. We're feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And I think as we receive bread and wine, I want you to come this morning, and whatever it is, if there's anything out of control in our lives, if there's any thought that we are thinking or mindset that Jesus wouldn't have, if there's any action that needs to be left as we approach the cross of Christ and walk away in newness of life, then as you receive, you receive Jesus' liberating, eternal life, life that has no beginning and has no end, that we are yet now united with. And you let him free you, drain you, cleanse you from, from within and present you afresh, pure and blameless before our Heavenly Father. Okay? And what we're going to do, and I just want to say this, um, sometimes we don't know what to do afterwards with communion, and it could be a chance to find out the football scores. Yeah. We're actually going to worship this morning, but I love you. Uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to come forward to receive. If you don't know our church, then that's fine. You know, you can put your hands out. I do that because I was taught to do that when I sang in a choir when I was, um, you know, a primary school age boy, and I, that's just how I do it. It doesn't mean you have to do it because it's in our church manual or, you know, handbook for how you get on here. If you want to put one hand out, if you want to put both hands out, if you want to just, you know, whatever. Like, you do, you do whatever you like. Just have some bread. And believe in your hearts that you're receiving from the body of Christ and what he's done. Okay? Um, and in terms of um, the words, we don't have a set words. I tell our guys, you just say what you like. I keep it simple. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. But, you, you know, because, I don't know, these are important things. You do it how you want to do it. But let's not chit-chat afterwards, because I want God to encounter us. If you want to chit-chat, go and enjoy the churchyard, 
and put some wellies on. <laughs> but we're going to worship, and what we're also going to do is we're going to clear the south aisle, which is the right-hand aisle as you look at the front, east, north, west, south. We're going to clear that bit of chairs so that we're going to have uh, the ministry team there, guys who are on the healing centre team, or guys who are on our staff, who are going to just minister to you. It's going to be a, a, a kind of holy tunnel of prayer. You know, it could be full of joy, but it's going to be really holy, and we're going to pray that Jesus will encounter you in the deepest possible way. And so as we prepare ourselves, I'm going to ask um, this aisle just to stack your chairs in threes and push them to the side so we've got room to do that, and um, we're going to then receive communion. Is everyone all right? Okay. So... Let's take, a, let's take 30 seconds. Let's stack those chairs in threes. If any of you over there need a chair, then could you just grab someone who looks young and supple and they will give you their chair um, and um, we'll do that.